going to be in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. The Lord always does that. He puts the song right in line with His message. I don't do that. Miss Sherry didn't do that. But if you know what happens in Acts chapter 27, you'll kind of already be understanding how that song was right on time. Tonight, uh, I want to put out uh, the, the notice that God gave me this morning. I was supposed to preach this message which would now be a couple weeks ago on September 20th, the Sunday night. Uh, but Miss Candy got sick, and we, out of caution, we quarantined for 14 days, so we stayed out of the, uh, out of the public and out of church, of course. So uh, I was supposed to preach it that night, but the Lord had perfect timing and to preach it tonight. Uh, so it's going to be a good message. I believe it's going to be a good message. How do you know that, preacher? You can't say that about your own message. No, because it has challenged me. Through these times, it has convicted me and has given me some assurance and given me some help. So I hope it does the same for you tonight. Uh, We're going to be in Acts 27, and our text verses are going to be scattered throughout the chapter. So uh, I'm going to let you stay seated for our text, but I would like you to ask you to stand and pray with me. Uh, Just I know we've been sitting down the whole service, so I don't want anybody, mainly my kids, to pass out on me, fall asleep. So let's stand, ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his text, and we'll sit down as we go through it. So we can sit down and say amen. Father, thank you so much for the service we've had so far. God, thank you for your people. Thank you for the family of God. Thank you for holding our tomorrows. Thank you that it doesn't have to be squarely on us, that it's not up to us, that we don't have to control it and connive it and and bend it and mold it. But God, we can just put our simple faith and trust in you. God, as we dive into your word and we preach it tonight, God, I pray that you get me out of your way. You speak to your people. You give those comfort that need comfort. You give those conviction that need conviction. God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. As I said, our text verses scattered throughout the verses are scattered throughout the chapter, so I didn't want to make you stand for the whole uh, 40-something verse chapter. We'll uh, have a little mercy there tonight. But understand this, that Paul's Christianity on Trial, the mini-series within our series on Acts that we've been in, is now over. Uh, it would resume again once he gets to Rome and under uh, the trial of the uh, Caesar there. But here we find a transitional chapter where he is now leaving Caesarea and he's headed to Rome. And that would have to have come by way of getting on a boat, getting on a ship and, and headed that direction. And uh, Paul was given to the charge of a man named Julius, who was a centurion of the Roman army. Uh, and, and Julius was charged with transporting Paul as well as several other uh, prisoners to Rome to stand trial for uh, the crimes or the not crimes, whatever they had committed. And uh, to do so was a big deal. You were going from uh, one side of the Mediterranean Sea and literally going right into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, as a young man, it was always easy to pick out Italy on a map because it looks like a what? A boot, all right? And being from the south, I knew what a boot looked like. And I could always point out in Europe, right there, there's Italy, all right? So you have that boot. That's where they're headed. They're headed to Rome, which is down near the tip of the boot, uh, the big toe probably right around in that area, probably maybe up a little bit. But, uh, and then they're over here at the bottom right corner of the football, the Mediterranean Sea, and they've got to get from point A to point B. Well, they hitch a ride. As a Roman soldier, this man Julius could have commandeered any ship he wanted. He could have uh, you know, said, hey, we're part of the Roman army and we're, we're borrowing your boat. You're, you're headed to Rome, so are we. We're going with you. So that's exactly what they did, and they begin to sail across the coast, and they hitched a ride on a boat going from Alexandria, Egypt, up the coast, and you know, stopping in different ports and trading and doing things, and they're making their way 
to Rome. And that's where we're at when we come into verse number 9. All right? And understand that they are about to sail into open sea. They're no longer going to be abiding by the coastline anymore. Uh, they've been kind of hopping from one harbor to another around that Mediterranean Sea. But they're about to leave out and they're about to head across wide open sea towards Rome. And that's where we're going to pick up tonight in verse number 9. The Bible says, Now when much time was spent... And sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed. What's that mean, preacher? That means simply uh, the Feast of Atonement had just finished taking place, and that is given to us to symbolize that it is now wintertime. All right? So now that it's wintertime, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Look at this. This is an intense statement. This is an intense statement that's taking place here. Right as they're about to leave, right as they're about to set out into open waters, pretty much the point of no return, uh, they couldn't simply uh, head back over to the side of the swimming pool, rather. How many of you know somebody that don't know how to swim? All right, somebody you know, but they don't know how to swim. How many of you don't, you don't know how to swim? All right, uh, you don't have to raise your hand and embarrass yourself, but if you don't know how to swim or you know somebody that don't know how to swim, here's what they do when they get into a swimming pool. They stay where? On the side, they stay close to where they can reach out and grab. For the most part, sailing of this day was done to the same effect. Many boats weren't big enough to go out into open water, so they would simply stay by the side of the swimming pool of the Mediterranean Sea. But now, they're about to head off into the deep end. If something goes wrong, they're not going to be able to simply just go reach and grab onto the side of the swimming pool. They'll be on their own. They'll be out there in the middle of the sea and in total mercy of those waters. And it's intense statement here for Paul to look at the cap. Here he is, a prisoner. They don't care who he is. All they know is that this Roman soldier has commandeered their ship and they're transporting these prisoners to Rome. And uh, here comes Paul, this guy that they have no clue he is, one of the prisoners. And he makes the statement, I perceive, uh, <clears throat> uh, in verse 10, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only to the lading in the ship, but also of our lives. Imagine a man you don't even know, a prisoner that's just kind of a stowaway on your boat, and he's looking at you and saying, this voyage is going to be our last. We are going to die if you want to sail right now. It's wintertime. The seas are getting uh, more and more rough, more and more tempestuous, and, and this is not a good idea. If you do this, if you are going to launch out into this area, it is not going to be good for you. It was an intense statement. But what did they do in verse number 11? Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. We'll get to that more in a minute. And verse 12, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part, so not only the captain and the master and the centurion, but now uh, the more part of the, the people on the boat advised to depart thence also. So uh, they kind of started talking about it, and the majority said, we're leaving. We're going, Paul. Uh, I know that was a pretty intense statement, but we're going out anyway. So the intense statement was followed by an infamous storm. Look at verse number 14. Here comes the I told you so. But not long after, there arose against a tempestuous wind called Eurycliden. All right? Now, what does it mean that the storm has a name. It says it was a tempestuous wind, a very intense, very, uh, very strong, very powerful, very intimidating wind, and it had a name called Eurycliden. Now, of this day, they couldn't turn on the Weather Channel and see radar, could they? They couldn't turn on uh, WRCB TV and watch it and see Channel Three and see Paul Bears. How many? Amen. Paul Bears has done a lot of good work. How many you, know, you love Paul? I love Paul. Anytime a tornado is coming through, I'm checking out what Paul Bears has to say. He's usually the closest one, but I always say in Chattanooga, a city surrounded by mountain ranges, the best 
best meteorologist is your window. Just look outside and see what it's doing because that's usually our best guess. But uh, they didn't have that pleasure. They couldn't look on the TV and see what Paul Bears had to say about it. They couldn't look and call a meteorologist or pull up radar on your phone. I do that now. And all they knew is when they sailed into this part of the sea at this time of the year that this storm was always there. It was the weirdest thing. What does that sound like? What does that sound like here maybe uh, at a certain time of the year in uh, the southern part of our country in this place called Florida? At a certain time of the year, these storms always generate at the same time under the same conditions and they always have uh, the same cyclical motion. This Euryclidon is coming from the word which we get cyclone and uh, it's a hurricane. And in this hemisphere, it would have been known as a typhoon. All right. And it was named and they knew it was named and they immediately could see that, oh, this is Euryclidon because it happened around the same time every year. So here Paul tried to warn them, tried to tell them, hey, it's hurricane season. What in the world are you doing in modern vernacular? What in the world are you doing trying to sail to the Bahamas in hurricane season? I'll never forget a coworker of mine decided that they were going to honeymoon in the Bahamas in hurricane season. And sure enough, they have the wedding. And it was, I forgot what the last big hurricane that came through last year at the end of the last year. And the Bahamas were gone. And he, he didn't have a honeymoon. He, he didn't have anywhere to go. And, and I completely forgot about our previous conversation. And he brought it up to me. He said, yeah, we're not going to build a honeymoon after all. I was like, oh, is something going on? Something? He's like, no, we got married. But the Bahamas, is, they're gone. All right? That's the power. That's the might of a hurricane. And here... Paul, in verse number 14, finds himself on this boat with a bunch of guys that didn't listen to him. And here they come into contact with Euryclidon, a, a typhoon, a hurricane. And verse number 15, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up to the wind, we let her drive. I read that this specific type of ship was designed in such a way where it didn't matter how strong the winds were, it could not sail against the wind on a, on a nice windy day, let alone during a hurricane. So when this hurricane began to whirl up and begin to spin and those winds became in excess of 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 miles an hour, you name it, they had to simply let their boat go at the mercy of the wind. And they found themselves in an insane situation, a storm that they never saw coming, a storm that they were warned of, but they sailed into anyway. And we have to understand just how bleak, bleak things look as we look down in verse number 25. Verse number 25, or excuse me, verse number 20. And when neither sun nor stars and many days appeared. Look at that. And when neither sun nor stars and many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. So an infamous storm led to an insane situation. After we couldn't see the sun, the moon, the stars for many days of total darkness, of total chaos, of being tossed left, tossed right, wind blowing in every direction, rain blowing in every direction, not being able to... If you can't see the sun, the moon, and the stars, you probably can't see very far there on that boat. This is a very bleak outcome. And Paul describes it, or Luke describes it here as he's writing in the book of Acts. Uh, can you imagine what Dr. Luke's saying? He's talking in the first person. He who's right there next to Paul. What have I got myself into? He says... All hope at the end of verse 20 that we should be saved was then taken away. Now what is going on in Paul's life here is exactly what goes on in the lives of you and the lives of me and the lives of many Christians and the lives of, of, of our country right now is we, even though we know better sometimes, even though we are warned sometimes, even though we're given instruction, even though we're given the Bible, even though we're given simple instructions to follow the Lord and to uh, obey the Lord and to not do what we want to do, but do what they want to do or what I want to do. Sometimes we find ourselves right in the middle 
of a hurricane. Right in the middle of a storm that we do not see a way out of. We do not see hope in sight. We can't see the sun, the moon, and the stars. It feels like we're in complete and total darkness. And this storm took some things away from Paul and his people. And it took some things away from those Roman soldiers. It took their stride. It took their stride. Have you ever been on a journey? Have you ever been heading on one direction? Doing something and, and, and having a purpose, having a drive, having a motivation, and then all of a sudden that storm comes, that storm comes, and you, you don't even know which way you were headed anymore. That's where Paul and his brethren and those prisoners and those Romans and those people that owned that ship, that's where they were at. They knew where they were headed. They were headed to Rome, but now that the storm had entered into their lives, now that they'd come into contact with a full-fledged hurricane, they knew no direction which they were going. They, they, they were completely and totally at the mercy of that storm. They had a direction, but now it was taken away, and it took their significance. Look at verse number 18. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. That ship was known to be a, a grain freighter. It was hauling wheat, it was hauling grain, and delivering it to Rome. And it says here that they lightened the ship, that they pretty much gave up the owners of the ship, the crew of the ship, gave up their original purpose. Their original purpose was to take this grain, take this wheat, and take it and sell it in Rome. But here the storm has made their outlook so bleak, has made their circumstances so terrible, that to save themselves, to save the, the fact of the ship going under, they now are taking all the freight, all the precious cargo, they're taking their week's pay, they're taking their month's pay, they're taking their year's salary, they're taking everything, and they're just tossing it into the sea, just simply trying to survive. The very thing that made them significant, the very thing that they thought would make them wealthy, the very thing that they thought they had control over was now going right into the ocean, was now going right into the wind and the waves, all because of the storm. It took their stride, it took their significance, but then it took their security. Look at verse number 20 again. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Storms will turn your big fancy ship into a little broken sailboat like that. A hurricane, a storm, something that you don't see coming, something that you're not anticipating to be around the bend, will take the things that you have confidence in, that job, that career, that intellect, that ability, that bank account, and whatever, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever it is you're placing your faith and your trust in as a Christian or as a non-believer, whatever it is that you're putting and you're holding to a point that it has control over you and that you're going to worship it and that you're going to do things and strive to grow it more, that storm will dump it right out of the boat. And it'll leave you spinning with no direction, with no significance that you feel, and no security. You'll feel that there's no hope. How many have been there? How many have been there? Be honest with me. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. How many of you have been in that storm? How many of you, every time, I know better, but I look at the news, and all you see is a hurricane. All you see is chaos. All you see is a storm. This side and that side and this side and that side and what they say and what they say and this and that. It's a storm. It's a hurricane that our country knew was out there. It's a big storm that was infamous. It had a name. It was called sin. It was called backsliding and turning our backs on guard. Our country knew that storm was out there. You and I know those storms are out there, yet we chose to sail into it anyway. And now here we find ourselves. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do? And there are many right answers here. But the answer I believe in our text is given to us by Luke and Paul's testimony. Storms will turn your big ship into a broken sailboat in minutes. But what do we do? Everybody look with me at verse number 25. 
Wherefore, sirs, this is Paul speaking, be of good cheer. For I believe God. Look at those words again. For I believe God. Say those three words with me again. I believe God. Ready? I believe God. But it's a hurricane. The winds are stronger than anything we've ever seen. The world is darker than anything we've ever seen. The church is in shambles. Nobody understands which way we're going. Nobody understands what to do next. Nobody has the answers. What do we do? Paul stands up and he says, I believe God. I believe God. That's the message tonight. I believe God. And I can only speak for myself. But by the end of this message, I hope you too can say, I believe God. In 2020, I believe God. In Rossville, Georgia, I believe God. At my place of work, I believe God. In my little home, I believe God. As I journey to work to and from it, I believe God. As I serve in the ministries of Anchor of Hope Baptist Church, I believe God. I hope by the end of this message, you can say the same thing. Because I would bet, and why would I bet? Because I felt the same way. I've had the same doubts. I've had the same fears. And I've had the same feelings that it gets hard to believe God in these times. I'm not talking about your salvation. You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. But as you look out into this world that you and I are living in, it gets hard to believe it sometimes, doesn't it? It gets hard to truly put total faith and total trust into what's going on. So let's look at what Paul did. Number one, believe God when no one else will. Look in verse number 10 again. And said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt, and much damage, not only to the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Here Paul is giving them the clear, present danger and warning to what they're about to do. He believed God then. But what happened to them? Believe God when no one else will. Number one, believe God over the captains in your life. Believe God over the captains in your life. Look here in verse number 11. Nevertheless, the centurion, the decision was placed on him. He's the senior Roman official. Believed the master and the owner of the ship. That word master could be also translated as captain. And the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken of by Paul. You know what that just said? The centurion, the decision maker, he believed the captain over the man of God. He believed the expert. He believed the one that was in charge of making sure the ship got from point A to point B. And when it all, when the cookie crumbled and when it all came down and it was time for the centurion to make a decision on whether he was going to believe this prisoner, this preacher, this guy that says he knows who Jesus is, this guy that says he knows that he was lost and undone and that God saved him by His grace, when, when given the choice to believe some preacher man or the captain of the ship, he believed the captain of the ship. But Paul believed God over the captain. And I would challenge you tonight, believe God over the captains in your life. The ones, that, the ones that know it, it all. And you know what? Those people that think they know it all, they really get on the nerves of people like me who really do. You'll get that in a minute. No. Nobody knows it all. Nobody knows it all. But so many times, you and I, we listen to the experts... We listen to the latest studies and numbers. We listen to the latest scientists and broadcasts over simply we walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we look at the captain and we say, oh, 
He knows so much about sailing. He knows so much about navigating the open sea. He's been on the Mediterranean Sea dozens of times. Surely I can believe him over, uh, God, over uh, Paul, this, this preacher man, this man that's accused of all these crimes. Surely I can believe the biggest and the brightest and the experts, the one that know everything, and they deal with this sort of thing every day, and they understand what's going on, and they're just trying to do this, and they're just trying to do that, and they have it figured out. They looked at Paul, and that centurion no doubt said, they know all about it. Uh, navigating by the stars. They know all about sea travel. They know all about aquatics. They know all about rigging and shipping and all these things. What do you know, Paul? You know what he said? I know God. And God said, this is not a good idea, boys. He believed God when nobody else would because he didn't give in to the captains in his life. When God puts something on your heart to stay away from, stay away from it. Don't let those captains talk you into it because they know it all. Obey God over captains. Believe God over currency. Look again at verse number 11. The master, he believed the master, the captain, but he also believed the owner of the ship. Notice the, Luke was careful to write that in there. The owner of the ship, who was that? That was the financier of the voyage. You see, the, the owner of the ship would have been the one financing. He would have been paying the captain. He would have been paying the crew. He would have been taking care of all the business side that would have went in and getting that ship from Alexandria to Rome and getting that ship with prisoners and grain and all on board to Rome. And he was the one financially backing the boat. And if the centurion didn't side with the finances, if the centurion didn't side with the currency, he may be in danger of losing his ride to Rome. He may be in danger of having to delay and find another ship and find another boat and create another work. So he couldn't risk, listen to this, he believed currency in the way where he was worried about somebody taking their business elsewhere. Taking their business elsewhere. How many decisions do we let get ruled by currency in our life? Well, I, God, I, I understand that this is what you're asking me to do, but you don't understand, God, i got to pay this. You don't understand, God, if I confront so-and-so on that, they'll, they'll take their business elsewhere. If I stop associating with these people that are causing me to sin and causing me to do these negative things, that I, I can't make my rich friends angry, to bring it to our, where I live. I can't make my rich friends upset. They have prestige. They have wealth. I can't offend them. I can't... Yeah, Lord, I know they're going and they're doing bad things and I'm there alongside them and, and I shouldn't be in those areas and I shouldn't... But Lord, what if they take their business elsewhere? God, I know you want me to believe you, but what if we lose their money? What if we lose their support? What are we going to do, God, if we don't have any money? Preacher preached this morning on what make God throw up Lukewarm's number one, but love of money, I would bet, would be number two. Saying, God, I would do what you're asking me to do, but there's this, there's this thing called the dollar. He throws up. The God that uses gold for asphalt looks down at us and says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're worried about a light bill? You're worried about a gallon of gasoline, you're worried about a tiling envelope, you're worried about, are you kidding me? Just believe me. Over the captain, over currency. But look at this, it, it comes closer to home, especially for me. Believe God over comforts. Ooh. Verse number 12, and because the haven was not commodious, comfortable to winter in, 
the more advised to depart thence also. So the centurion believed the captain and the money guy, the master, the owner of the ship. But then the crew said, where we're at is just not a good place to spend the winter. We'll have to sleep on the boat. It'll be cold. It'll be hard. It'll be, it's not, com- it's not comfortable. Paul, we've got to sail into the sea. We can't stay here all winter. It's going to be uncomfortable. Do you want to be uncomfortable? Do I want to be uncomfortable? They were openly choosing comfort over safety. They were choosing choosing to believe in their creature comforts and and their commodities and their things that they were there, the things that they immediately had, those immediate gratifications over the warnings of a man of God that had vision, over the things of a man of God that had been warned. They were simply clinging to their comfort zone. Paul, I know what you're saying. I know you're trying to warn us, but we can't possibly stay here. We'll get cold. Do you think they, in the middle of that hurricane, were wishing they'd have stayed back at the bank? When they hadn't seen the sun, the moon, and the stars in many days, you think they would have traded that for being a little cold for a little while? Do you think they would have traded that storm for a little cold weather, a little enduring, a little patience, a little obedience? They would have traded that storm. Those of you who are like me, and you've been through these storms because you jumped the gun or because you came around the corner that you you didn't ask God before you turned the corner and you didn't ask God before you flung the door open and you end up in those storms. Sometimes you wish you could trade it and go back to where you were, didn't you? You think that's what they were doing? We have to believe God over our comforts. Comfort zones are killers of the faith. Comfort zones are killers of the faith of the faith. Now God doesn't call you to do what he calls me to do and he don't call him to do what he calls him to do and he don't call her to do it. Everybody's different. Everybody's got different abilities and God made you you. So don't get me twisted here that I'm calling everybody to get out of a comfort zone and do what I say. No, you know your heart. God knows your heart and you know if you're in your comfort zone or not. You know if you're believing God over your comforts. Believe him over captain's currency and comforts, but that's first. Believe God when no one else will. Secondly, believe God when no hope is inside. Look at verse 20a. When neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, believe God in the darkness. Believe God in the darkness. No sun, no stars, no light, just darkness. Just wind, waves, worry, weakness, work. It should be in our darkest valleys that our weakest moments that our lights shine the brightest. When it's the darkest out there, it should be the brightest in here. What are you saying, preacher? Believe God enough to shine for him in these dark, dark days. Don't let the darkness steal your light. Don't let the fear and the pandemonium and the pandemic take away your zeal and your fervency for your Savior. You're going to be in this. We're in it. We live here. And we're blessed to live here. We're blessed to not be dealing with this thing in Nicaragua or dealing with this thing in Africa or dealing with this thing in a third world country where they're not telling anybody anything and they're kind of just letting chaos ensue. We're blessed to be in the situation we're in. Our winds aren't as strong as they are in other parts of the world. Yet, it, it burdens me to see men and women of God let the darkness dim their light. Because it's, it's scary. It's a fearful thing. Where's the faith in that? Believe God in the darkness. Believe God in the doomed situation. No small tempest. 
Some storms are the worst you've ever been in. Some waves are the biggest you've ever seen. Hold on. Hold on. 2020, bring it. Bring it. We serve the King of kings. We serve the Lord of lords. We follow the Son of God, Jesus Christ, an alive God, one who conquered everything. And as I just just talked to those who are involved in our music ministry, He's brought His bride. He's brought His church through the bubonic plague. He's brought His church through smallpox. He's brought His church through polio. He's brought His church through many, many pandemics, more severe and more chaotic and less informative with less medical care. How in the world has the church survived through those because the church was believing God. You know why it was so much easier for that church? Because they didn't have any other eyes to believe in this channel or believe in that channel or believe in this outlet and believe in that outlet and believe in that candidate and believe in that candidate. Christians need to get back to just believing God and letting Him work all that out. I said there was a rally in Fort Oglethorpe for one of our candidates Bless the Lord, I hope he wins. But where's the prayer rally? Where's the Christian rally? Church is scared. They're going to get in trouble. We can do it at my house. We can do it at your house. We can have a rally. We can come together and share burdens with one another. We can pray. We can pray. The God that spoke this world into creation has the power to protect his people. Believe them. Believe them in the doomed situation. God is big enough. Look at verse 29. Or, excuse me. We'll be there in a minute. Believe God when no escape is profitable. Look at verse number 30. And the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out the four ship. So back up in verse number 25, Paul says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be as it was told unto me. And verse 24, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Paul was saying, Boys, we're going to be all right. God has come to me. God has told me. He has given uh, us a pardon here. He's going to give us grace. He's going to give us mercy. We just got to hold on. We just got to stay in the boat. We just got to endure this storm until it's over. We just got to believe God. Sirs, I believe God. But here we find in verse number 30, some shipmen letting down a lifeboat. What are you talking about? Look at verse number 30 again. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, right in the middle of the storm, storm hadn't stopped. Wind's still raging. Waves still raging. Look at verse number 30. As the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under color as though they would have cast anchors out, out of the foreship. Paul sees a group of the crew decide, we're getting in a lifeboat. We're getting out of here. We're getting out of here. There's a lot of Christians that don't want to stay with the boat. They want to get out of here. They want to flee. They want to try to figure things out their way when the storms come in their lives. They want to try to figure things out and figure out how to get back out of the storm their way. They say, forget this, this whole enduring thing, this whole patience thing, this whole bearing the burden thing. This is for the birds. I see a lifeboat. I see a shortcut. I'm getting out of here. But Paul knew that wasn't sufficient. And he confronts the centurion. Believe God. When there's no other escape that is profitable. Paul said unto the centurion in verse 31, And to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, 
you cannot be saved. So you have to have faith that the anchor, you have to believe the anchor is going to hold. You have to believe the anchor is going to hold. How in the world can you believe, believe he's going to hold? No matter what's going on above the water, no matter what the turmoil looks like, no matter what the waves look like, what the lightning looks like, what the wind looks like, how bad it looks, how terrible it looks, how divided it looks, no, the anchor's not going anywhere. No, the anchor's holding. You can believe that. You can take that to the bank. He said, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. For I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God. The anchor's going to hold. It's about time we start believing it. It's about time that we stop looking to the left and look to the right and just start believing that the anchor's going to hold. Believe the abiding will hold. God told them to stay in the boat. He called them to get in the boat. He told Paul to stay in the boat. And if it was in the boat that they would see their deliverance, it was in the boat, it was in the ship of Zion, it was in the boat, the church, the church, the church. He called the local New Testament church to abide together, to stay together in unity, in unison, in one mind, in one heart, with one accord, bringing supplication and prayer and thanksgiving unto their Lord and worship. And it is not time to be jumping out of the boat. It is not time to be looking for a little life raft, looking for a quick way out. It is time to hunker down in this thing called Anchor of Hope Baptist Church, one with another hand in hand together and move forward by faith through this storm in the arms of an almighty God. Amen. It's not time to be trying to bail out of the boat or come up with a better way or a better plan. He called us to stay in the boat. He called us to occupy till he comes. But he called us to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he doesn't put that commitment, that commandment on pause because of a pandemic. Are you saying we shouldn't be careful? No, we should be careful. Are you saying we shouldn't be, take precautions? No, we should take precautions. We should have enough faith to believe that if we're carrying out the Great Commission, that our Lord and our Savior is going to take care of for us. Yeah. Amen. Me and Miss Candy know every year, for six years now, when we start children's ministry back, every year we're going to get sick. Every year. Not just this year. Every year. Why? They have germs. They're around kids all the time. And we openly accept that we're going to get sick every single year when it starts back. You know what happens? We get sick every single year when it starts back. But you know what? The Lord takes care of us. The Lord takes care of us. We could go on and on for hours. How many times? People in this room Saints of God have been in this storm. And you know you stayed in the boat. You knew you believed God. And you know that's why you're still sitting here today. Believe the abiding in God. Staying in the boat. Lastly, believe the anchor will hold. Believe the abiding will hold. Staying together. And believe that the answer will hold. I want us to look back. In verse number 11. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master. That word believed could be translated as being convinced, being persuaded, winning an argument, tipping the balance. When the centurion placed his belief in the captain and the financier of the voyage, he was simply 
persuaded. He was simply talked into it. He simply looked at the pros and cons and made a decision. But now I want us to look at verse number 25 again and see what Paul says. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I, there it is again, believe God. This word believe speaks of pure substance, of things hoped for, faith in things that are not seen, biblical faith. Faith that God is in control. Faith that God is on the throne. Faith that he knew. There was no doubt. There was no persuading. There was no, I believe God, but if you got a better idea, throw it at me. No, it was complete and total, no questions asked, trust in an almighty God. Brother Dan took us there this morning. What makes the difference between one that gets in that storm, falls for the trap of the lifeboat, or jumps overboard, or blows it? The storm defeats them. And the ones that come out the other side. What makes the difference? 1 John 5.5. 5. Turn there with me. 1 John 5.5. 5. Got a new Bible set up a little differently, so it's harder for me to find stuff as quick. 1 John 5.5. 5. We'll close with this. 1 John 5, or, yeah, 1 John 5, 5. 1 John, verse 5. No, it was right before. 1 John 5, 5. I'm sorry, church. New Bible, blaming it on that. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that what? That Jesus is the Son of God. So right now, in the storm of 2020, do you believe God? It's up to us, anchor of hope. In the music meeting I listed as Miss Joy's coming. I listed all the pandemics and all the sicknesses the church has come through throughout history. And I led it all the way up to 2019, COVID-19. I would list the bubonic plague and the date and SARS and the date and the Spanish flu and the date. And I led it all the way up to COVID-19 dash. And I wrote in there and I said, it's up to you and me. It's up to God's church to determine what happens to the church after that dash. It's up to you and me to determine in this storm, in this what no doubt is a hurricane, as she begins to play, to decide, do we believe God? see a light. They don't see a sun, moon, stars, but God, help them to see you. 
God, help them to see the light of the world, Jesus Christ and His church and in His people. Help us not to allow the darkness of the storm that we're in right here in Rossville, Georgia, to dim our light. But, Lord, I pray that you give your people boldness and faith to just believe you. Just believe you. God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, this week, I hope your theme, I hope your motto is, I believe God. Amen. Let's be dismissed. I'll see everybody back Wednesday night.